You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Alright, well, good morning, Anthem Church. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Psalm 51. We're teaching through uh, some of the Psalms this summer, um, and so Psalm 51 is where we're going to be at today. And so this psalm is going to uh, kind of talk about the topic of sin, that is like falling short of the glory of God, doing things that are wrong. So just if you're like, that does not apply to me, I'm like one of those perfect people, this is a time you can be dismissed uh, this Sunday. No one? Okay, yeah, that's, that confirms, like scripture says, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. And so it's not a matter of, of you know, being perfect, there's only one, Jesus. And so we've all had sin. So we're going to see today <laughs> the good way to respond to our sin and the poor way to respond to sin. And so are we going to glorify God or is Satan going to win out in this? And so we're going to see that in Psalm 51. Uh, and this is David who is penning Psalm 51. David, you might know him as, as the shepherd boy that then took his sling and stone and killed Goliath the giant. So he goes from shepherd to king. First Samuel 13 calls David a man after God's own heart. But Psalm 51 is written in response to perhaps David's, uh, not perhaps, certainly David's lowest, darkest time. In fact, if you're at the psalm, you see that the, kind of like the header is, for the choir director, a Davidic psalm, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. And so David gets entangled in depths of sin that most of us will perhaps never be able to relate to. And so, actually what we're going to do, now that you got your, your thing there, you can just stuff your little, little program in there. And we're actually going to go all the way back to 2 Samuel 11. Okay, so we're going to see the inspiration for this psalm. The, this psalm is an outpouring after these events take place, but what were the events that took place? And so for that, we've got to go back to this story. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to open up my Bible there, and I'm going to provide some just kind of commentary, and we're going to look at the events that really led to this psalm being penned. And so 2 Samuel, Old Testament, Chapter 11, it tells the story of David and Bathsheba. And so, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, says this. In, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Okay. Already the author's letting us know there's, there's a problem here. Hey, springtime, kings go off to war. King David sent somebody else instead. Perhaps laziness, perhaps, I don't know it, why he's not going out into battle, but he sends Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened, ESV says, I like that. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. It starts with a look in verse 2. That look takes action. David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, time out. Okay, he's supposed to be off to war as king. These guys are fighting on behalf of the kingdom, but David is back and he sees laying around on the couch in the afternoon and gets up to just kind of survey Jerusalem. We see that he looks and sees a woman who's bathing, and then that look takes action. Say, hey, why, don't, why don't you just ask about who she is? Who she is is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah would have been one of David's mighty men, one of the guys that is out to battle, fighting right now for the king, and this is his wife. So what does David do? He just starts snowballing. He finds that out. David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she'd been purifying herself from her uncleanliness, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. (laughs) You see how this is just snowballing? It's like, you should have been off at war. And now we're just at the spot where you've just got this gal pregnant. She is not your wife. She's the wife of one of your mighty men. And here she is. And she sends word. And so what's David do? And we kind of continue in this narrative. He, He sends for Uriah, her husband. Calls her husband off the battle lines and says, come on back. Hey, how's the war going? You know, you just imagine that chit-chat. How are things? Okay, good. Hey, and David says, why don't you go home? Go to your house, he says in verse 8. Wash your feet. He's probably wanting Uriah to do more than just wash his feet. And Uriah went to the king's house uh, and followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house and all of his servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. When David said, Uriah, why didn't you go home? Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said, look at the character of this guy. The ark of Israel and Judah dwell in booths. They're out in tents. And my Lord Joab and his servants are camping in open fields. Should I go to my house, eat, drink, and lie with my wife? And David's thinking, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You understand? He's saying, the army? They're out camping. They're roughing it. They're fighting. Well, what kind of man would I be, <clears throat> David, if I just went and just indulged and just had just this great time? Well, there's warriors out there fighting. No, I'm not that kind of man. David sees a problem, so he's going to repeat the same step, only this time involve alcohol. But even then, Uriah doesn't do it. The narrative continues. See the snowball effect here. So that plan doesn't work. So what's he do in verse 14? In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, that's the commander, and send it by the hand of Uriah the Hittite. Do you understand? Again, what's happening here? This is what what he writes to Joab. Hey, send Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Hey, Uriah, you're heading back? Here, (laughs) there's a little note for Joab. Why don't you go ahead and give it to him? Uriah is walking to the front lines with his death sentence. He didn't even know it. Hands it over to Joab, and that's what happens. They besiege the city. He places Uriah where he knew there was going to be opposition, verse 16. uh, The city came out and fought. And get this, some of the servants of David, they fell. 
Uriah the Hittite also died. And so Joab sends word back and saying, hey, the plan has been carried out. And what is David's response? Say to Joab, hey, don't let this upset you. The sword devours now uh, one as well as the other. It's okay. These things happen is what David's saying. Do you understand where he's at? He went from being lazy to looking lustfully to acting on that to trying to get one of his men like to to defy his character. That didn't work. So he has this man essentially killed by this other army. Not only that man, but innocent people around that man also lost their lives. Do you see the snowball effect of the sin here for David? Reminds me, Ravi Zacharias, he, he said it like this. He said, uh, sin takes you further than you wanted to go, faster than you wanted to get there, causes you to stay longer than you wanted to stay and costs you more than you wanted to pay. That's what sin does. It causes you to go further, faster. It costs you more than you wanted to pay and causes you to stay longer than you want to stay. It just, he just gets wrapped up in this sin. And here he is at the end of it, at end of chapter 11, after the morning was over, David sent and brought Bathsheba into his house. She became his wife, and he bore him a son. Everything's normal, right? But that last line, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. God saw this. God saw this all unfold, and perhaps David thought, I'm able to conceal my sin. I didn't have to confess it. I didn't have to own this. I concealed it. It's taken care of. <laughs> no, God saw it. God knows. He sees. He hears what's happening. And so, David, in his attempt to manage and conceal his sin, we're going to see that God has other plans for him. It reminds me, trying to manage your sin, try, it kind of reminds me of like flu season. We just went through that not too long ago. Managing your sin is like trying to not throw up. Now, here's what I mean. Like, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking the stomach flu, the kind that makes you like, you know, where you start feeling a little achy. And then it's hot and cold, and, and maybe you just got like the chills. And then your stomach does the thing, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's just like, it is just, it's mad. And it's like, starts to feel weak and tight all at the same time. Me, I don't like to throw up. Like, I understand, like, conceptually that on the back end of all that, like, it, you feel better. But in the moments leading up to it, I'm like, mm-mm. I'm the guy that's like pounding the saltines because all the, it, for some reason for me, like saliva, you start to go and like, nope, drown it out. You just put saltines. That'll suck it up, right? And so I'm there like fighting it and I'm like, just, and just lay in bed and you're like, don't move. But without fail, there comes this point where you're like, okay, now's the time. <laughs> like, you're like, I've got to act. And you go, and for me, like, you go, and there's something about, like, that toilet porcelain water smell. You know where I'm at. You're like, yeah. You're like, get that, and you're like, eject button just instantly. <laughs> I go there, and I understand it's graphic. But, but this idea of, like, getting it out there, that's your body's way of healing. Like, what it's trying to do is get this sickness out. And so it is, it is getting it out out of your system, and it isn't pleasurable, I get that, but it is 
part of the healing process. Getting it out is part of the healing process. And so much like that confession, I'm telling you, it is not always the most pleasurable thing to own your sin and to get it out there. But it's part of this healing process. And David, at this point, he's not confessing. He's concealing. And so the story continues. And again, this is where the psalm gets prompted. God sends a prophet, Nathan, who perhaps wasn't even there, but, but he came to him. And Nathan sets David up, and he tells him a story about this rich man who had everything and about this poor man who had next to nothing, just this one little lamb, and, and the rich man had the audacity to take that lamb, kill it, and serve it for a meal versus taking out of his wealth. David gets so angry, and he said, I think it's in verse 4, that man should surely die. Which in verse 5 of Second Samuel 12, as the Lord lives, that man dies. Nathan replied in verse 7, you are the man. And he's not saying like, hey, you're the man. He's saying, you're that man, that guy that you think should die. You're that man. And he goes on to say, God has given you everything. He brought you from a shepherd to being king over everything. He's given you all this stuff. And you had to go take one of your guys' wives to be your own. Really? You're that man. And that's that being called out. Verse 13, we see David gets it. He's saying, man, I've sinned against the Lord. For me, <laughs> there's been times where, where I've purposely concealed sin. There's been times where I, I didn't knowingly conceal it, but, but it's taken guys like Nathan in my life to draw that out. Guys like Nathan. And, and, and one time in particular, I, I think of, of Kevin Scheibe. For me, like sexual immorality, these things, I so desired to feel affirmation that I would jump from one relationship to the other. And I didn't struggle with sexual immorality before I gave my life to Jesus. It was just something I did. I was just sexually immoral. And it just, I so wanted the affirmation that I brought. I wanted, I thought, man, if I can get this gal to be physical with me, somehow that'll affirm me as a man. Somehow that kind of would make me feel better. And it never did. And so just one broken relationship, I'm like, well, maybe it's not this person. Maybe it's the next one. And I found myself just doing that. Even God gets a hold of me. I'm saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to obey you. But this is one area of my life that I kind of held out. And even to the point where, dating my wife, and early on in our relationship, found myself leading her in that way. And, and I remember, like, this conviction, but at the same time, like, I didn't really, was, there was remorse, but there was never truly repentance. I never truly turned from that. And I remember being at a couple's house. This was in Ames, and we were going to church there. And I remember this couple, uh, and Kevin and Mary, and Kevin just started asking me really direct questions. And he started asking me about our relationship and how I was leading her. And more specifically, like physically, like how was I leading her there? And Kevin just was asking me, he's saying, you're supposed to be the leader of this relationship. Like, are you protecting her? Are you treating her as God would have you treat her? And I just remember having to stand there in like this Nathan-like rebuke and just be like, no, like, I'm not leading her well. And Kevin said, you're the leader. This is your fault. I'm calling you to stop it, repent, turn from that, and lead her how God would have you lead her. 
And I just remember like in that moment, I still remember like being in their kitchen, the whole layout, and Kevin just calling me to the mat on that one. And I'm like, man, this is the first time somebody's lovingly rebuked me in, in this way. And, and being able, there's, it hurt to confess that, but that's when healing started. James 1, 9, or sorry, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the most loving thing Kevin could do was poke and, and get that exposed because getting it out there starts the healing process. And again, much like the flu, this is why I think it's a helpful illustration. Is it a mess on the front end? You absolutely. Like when it gets out there and you start saying, hey, honey, the reason our bank account is low is because I've been squandering money. I bought these things and I didn't want you to know and I was concealing that. That's the first step in confession. Is it going to be a little bit messy? Yeah. And so in like the, the spirit of David or, or of Nathan, here's what I want to do. Church, I want to give us this opportunity because I want to give us the opportunity to own the sin in our lives. Here's what Proverbs 28.13 says. Proverbs 28.13 says, People who conceal their sin will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. The most loving thing from Scripture that we can do is have that sin no longer concealed, but have it out there because in doing so, as it gets confessed, we can receive mercy. And if we're going to go and we're going to try and prosper and, and help other people know the love that God has for them, we have to first affirm that with our own lives and, and own that. And so I believe this is completely relevant for us as a church because one of the things that, as a young pastor that I've seen, is unconfessed sin and how it just causes marriages to not prosper, how it causes business... I, Recently, I just remember counseling somebody since I was here and meeting with this guy that seemingly had it all. Legitimately, seemingly had it all. Man, I wanted to be built like this guy. I wanted to drive the vehicle he drove. I wanted to like have the, the presence he had. He had it all. But, he, but at the same time, there was not a prospering. There was a brokenness. Couldn't figure it out. Finally, true to Scripture, there's just this concealed sin. I would want to love you and say, is there concealed sin? From my short time, I've seen adultery concealed. Would that be something that was like, man, I, that's in the past. I feel like I buried that enough. Is that something God would press on you? Adultery, just by definition, is, is, is having sex outside of marriage. I wouldn't want to think that the church is immune to that. And so is that... Would that be you? And I would say that would even include looking at images on the internet of people that are not your spouse and acting on those. That's sex outside of marriage. Have you concealed an abortion? And that's something perhaps you did in college and you're like, nobody will ever know. That was just between me and the people that performed that. Have you taken the life of a child and concealed that? And I would want us to confess that Perhaps it's, I'm not naming anybody, I'm just throwing out examples of things, again, that I've seen as a pastor. Perhaps you've had 
Sex with someone that was not consenting. By definition, that is rape. Greed. Have you cheated people at work, cheated clients, skimmed a little, you know, and, and figured out a way to put more money in your pocket while robbing from your employer? Perhaps it's robbing from the government on taxes. Have you gambled money away, your family's money, and, and not knowing, out of greed, wanting to get more? Perhaps, students, you, you've lied to your parents about finishing some homework. Perhaps it's lied about where you were. And you've actually been, you know, drinking or, or, or other things like, is there stuff that you've concealed that you haven't owned? I mean, I don't know what is in your heart, but I would want to lovingly, and I'm telling you, even as I study this, this week, last night, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I've got everything out there, haven't I? And I'm studying this and realizing I'm going to have to call my mom this afternoon and let her know about things that I was doing in high school that I wasn't honest on. But just this desire to to get it out there, knowing that if we conceal our sin, we're not going to prosper, that we confess it and turn from them. There's mercy and there's that confessing and turning from that, that we receive mercy. And so that's where I want to go, and we're going to see what it looks like to truly confess it and turn from it, because now we can go back to Psalm 51. David has been called out by Nathan. He gets it all brought to light, and now healing begins to take place. And so he takes something that he thought he had concealed, it gets exposed, and David, he wants to really own this. And so here's what he does. Psalm 51, it is a song. David pens this thing, hands it to the director of music, and he said, hey, I want you to sing this thing. Imagine that, like... The king writes a song and he's saying, I want everybody to sing this. I want this out there. And so David is going to make it very public. To me, that is one of the best indicators that you truly understand forgiveness when you're willing to say, hey, I want, I want people to learn from this. I'm not going to be defined by this. I've been forgiven. I'm going to make this known. And so David does that. And what does he say now in our psalm for the day? Psalm 51 Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out, listen to his language in regards to sin. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are right you are blameless when you judge. We're just a few verses in, and you see David acknowledging his guilt. He doesn't defend himself. He owns right up to it. Look at the extent he owns it in verse 5. He's saying, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. David's response to sin is owning it. He doesn't talk about how bad he feels. That's remorse, not repentance. And there's a difference. Feeling bad is not truly repenting and turning from. David certainly doesn't victimize himself either. Meaning he owns it. He's not claiming to be a victim. When you victimize yourself, you excuse yourself of wrongdoing. 
And here's what I mean when we victimize ourselves from sin. It's like this. This is what a, a person that victimizes himself would say. They'd say, you know, I, I just haven't been getting much sleep lately. That's why I was, that's why I was really harsh with you. Does that make sense? It's like, I, I'm really a pretty good person, you know, but the circumstance of not getting to sleep, that's what's to blame. Let's blame no sleep. Yeah, not what I said. Or someone that said, well, you know, uh, purity was going pretty good. I was going pretty good, and then I just, I just, I just slipped up. Really? <laughs> like, I remember using that language, and it's like, I don't think you slip on ice. The, the, the progression that it took to be impure was far from slipping. And what it is, is in those moments, you're saying, I'm a pretty good person. It's... It's this situation, it's this circumstance, that's really what's to blame. And if that's the case, if you victimize yourself when it comes to sin, you can never truly repent of it, you can never truly grow from it, because you're not in the wrong, you're just the victim. Does that make sense? And so that's why that's not helpful to use that language. And we see David, he's not going to say he's the victim, he's saying, I, <laughs> that's my sin, my rebellion, yep, that's... That's me. <laughs> I did that. And so David owns it. And through that, healing can begin to take place. And I'm telling you, it takes a level of humility to own your sin in that way. And for me, that's one of the hardest parts about confessing is, is truly acknowledging, hey, this is, this is my thing. And here's, here's uh, yeah, so it's my thing. And so, in other words, we are sinful by nature, but also by choice. Sinful by nature from the mother's womb, but by choice. And God, I know what you say, I trust you, but I don't want to do that. That's the rebellion that he's addressing here. Verse 4 is a proper response, though. Against you, you alone, I have sinned, done evil in your sight. Indeed, I was guilty from when I was born. That sounds like a person who's ready to accept what Jesus has done. Tim Keller says it like this, and I think this is so beautiful. It's in his Meaning of Marriage book, which totally challenged, I think, our marriage early on. It's, it's great, but he says this. The gospel is this. The good news is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Like the paraphrase that, it's like, we are worse. <laughs> like, you think you're bad? You're worse than that. You think God's good? Oh, he's way better than that. That's the reality of the gospel. That's what, as I continue to get myself in, in scripture, I'm realizing more and more just how broken and sinful I really am and just how good God is. That's the reality of the gospel. And there is freedom in embracing that reality of our brokenness. Pastor Troy, he's a guy up in Ames. I was, that was where I first like, went to church when I went to college, served on their staff team. Pastor Troy is perhaps one of the freest men I know. And not because he's like the most righteous. He would tell you that. Troy is so free because if Troy does something against God or against others, he is so quick to own it and make it known like, he makes a habit out of being like, I did this, that was wrong, I just want everybody to know. 
And Troy lives with such freedom because he doesn't have this fear that somebody is going to come up with some sin that he's been concealing and say, oh, you know what, Troy? I got you. <laughs> like, you did this. Troy's like, I've already told everybody that. Perhaps people that didn't need to know. I made that known to them. Like, Troy lives with such freedom out of just this confession of sin. And I think of David. David, I don't believe from this day on, looks back and like, oh, David, you and Bathsheba. He's like, I know, I wrote a song about it. I was an idiot, wasn't I? That was terrible. That was wrong. I've told everybody that. And I want you to know, there's, yeah, I was wrong. He owns it in such a public way. And thus, he takes something that Satan could use as power and say, yep, see, and he takes it and he glorifies God with it. Oh, I know that was wrong. Thank God for the forgiveness that I have. Oh, that was so evil and wrong. Thankfully, God is so good and loving that he can forgive even that. He takes something that Satan could have used as a destruction and brings about just this direction to God. And see how he directs the attention towards God. He owns his sin on the first part, and then he turns the corner, and he says, The Lord, purify me with his hop, and I will be clean. Wash me. Who? God, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. It's God who makes him whiter than snow. Let me hear uh, joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sin and blot out my guilt. God, create me, uh, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You did not want sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. I'm going to time out there. One of the tendencies we have when it comes to sin, it's not a matter, everybody who's sitting in here has acknowledged, yeah, I'm not a perfect person, so I've got something to learn from here. One thing we can do is victimize ourselves. Like, oh, I'm not perfect, but it's really the circumstance to blame. What we see from David, don't do that. <laughs> You're not a victim. You're the kind of person that wanted to look at that. You're the kind of person that did that. The sooner you can own that, the sooner you can get healing. Another tendency we have to do is to overown it in the form of trying to do penance. Does that make sense? One way is like we don't want to own it at all. Another way is like, yep, I was so wrong. I was, I was, and we begin to, and penance is this. It's voluntary self-punishment inflicted as an outward expression of repentance, having doing wrong. It's like this voluntary self-punishment. It's like, I know that that was wrong, you know. So therefore, I'm going to go to this extreme measure. I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to really just like inflict this on me. Here's an example of this. With my wife, like when I wrong her, I have a tendency to want to like do penance. And what that means is, is it's like, oh, I've done something wrong. I know my wife's love language. It's not as much flowers so much as it is like coffee. Okay, and I think, okay, what I can do is I can go get a cup of coffee for being a butt, and if I just give her this coffee, like then we're all square, right? Like then she'll know like that I really love her, and this is my way of like showing her that I'm truly sorry. 
Now, I don't think my wife's opposed to me buying her a coffee, right? And your wife's like, hey, flowers, that's, I'm not saying no to that. But here's what I think those that we've wronged would really want to hear. Is I was wrong for this. I understand that this hurts you and this was not okay. That is my fault. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me for that? Do you understand how different that is from like, I'm sorry you got hurt. So you didn't own anything, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, but to say I was wrong. When was the last time couples that you said, I was wrong? Own your sin in such a way. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Don't victimize yourself. Don't do penance. In doing penance, essentially what it is, is it's like trying to work Jesus out of a job. He's paid the sacrifice for us. God has paid the punishment. And when we say, well, Lord, I'll do it. I'll just, I'll say more prayers. I'll, I'll read more scripture. Then, then you'll be happy. This is what God wants. Verse 17. What God wants, the sacrifice pleasing to God, is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humble heart. God can work with that. And that comes from owning it. Then God can go to work and cleanse us. And he says, in your good pleasure, in verse 18, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifice. Whole burnt offerings. The bulls will be offered in your name. Own our sin. You and I, we're not victims. We're rebellious. People do what they want to do. And the sooner that we can embrace that, the sooner we can actually begin to go to work on the brokenness within us. And again, it, it's okay to not be okay. You just can't be okay with being not okay. I think I said that right. Did I say that right, Luke? Like this idea that, that no one aside from Jesus Christ has been perfect. That We can understand that. But what we can't do in light of that is like, well, people, people sin, even David's sin. I, it's, just a, it's just, we can't be okay with that. We got to be the kind of people that repent. And in doing so, it makes much of God. When we can come and bring those things to light, like David, man, he glorifies God with this psalm. And again, I don't I want to undermine how messy that this could be on the front end. And as a pastor, one of the things that you guys employ me to do is help walk people through those messes. Saying, it's not my favorite part, but I know the healing that's on the back end. And even this week, getting to shepherd through some of those things. Because there's freedom in confession. There's freedom in repenting. And I would want you to have that freedom because allowing you to conceal it is not the most loving thing to do. I would want that to be brought to light, that there be forgiveness. And so here's what we're going to do, is that we would truly take time to just ask the Lord, Lord, would you search my heart? And some of you are like, I don't need to ask. It's already, I feel it. It's right here in my throat. Guys, I want to take an opportunity in light of the psalm. And we don't, the next psalm, it's going to be something different. But Psalm 51, this is where he's going today. And I want you to see the freedom that David has. And here's the thing. David, from here, like seemingly really does live a repentant life. He owns this and is able to move on. We don't have to be forever defined by these shortcomings. There is forgiveness. And it's offered in Jesus. And so we're going to take communion.
And here's what I mean by this. Jesus, his body was broken for us. He's nailed to his cross. The blood shed for us so that we can be forgiven. That is the punishment that you and I deserve. But, but the gift of God is forgiveness. It's eternal life through Jesus. And so Jesus said, I want you to remember that gift and do that by breaking bread and, and, and dipping in the cup and remembering my body, my blood, broken and shed for you. And so we're going to do communion, and what's going to happen is the, the band is going to play. And I just want us to, to truly have this forgiveness and have it confessed. And what, I'm, what I would beg you is saying, if you truly have, are concealing sin right now, I would want you to engage the mess. And like my wife does for me when I've got the flu, it's like, honey, just go throw up. What I'd, say, what I'd say, if you're concealing sin, if you're living in it, there's a, another voice right now inside of you. No, 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 you can conceal it. That's no, not a big deal. That's not the voice of the Lord. God would so want to offer forgiveness. And through that, it, James says it like this, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you might be healed. Before you would take communion, I would say, please, Seek forgiveness from God and perhaps others that you've broken, a broken relationship with before you would take communion. Then in light of that, we can, as we've received forgiveness and as we've sought forgiveness, we can then go and take communion together. And so what I'm inviting is, is some of our leaders in our church, uh, some staffers and, and our connection group leaders, they're going to be taking communion and they're going to be available for us to pray with. Again, that we would confess our sins to one another. David doesn't just keep this between him and the Lord. He makes it known. And what I would say is make much of God in the forgiveness by just making that known. And so seek forgiveness and do that. And you have the opportunity to pray and then take communion together. And so I'm going to pray for us and just kind of get it started. And we're going to let the band come on up and uh, they're going to play for us. Lord, thank you for, for the life of David. Thank you that you can use imperfect people, that you would still declare this guy a man after your own heart despite a depth of sin that perhaps none of us will relate to. But God, thank you for the forgiveness that extends to broken people. And Lord, even now we just acknowledge our brokenness. We acknowledge that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We acknowledge that we deserve to be punished, that's what a good God should do. But Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. I just pray now, Lord, that you would reveal stuff in our hearts that you are so willing and ready to forgive, but perhaps we've never put before you. Lord, would you even drum that up now that we could be healed, that we would, in light of that, be able to receive mercy and just prosper. And so God, please, would you help us Lean in to the forgiveness that you offer even now. And so if it's turning to somebody, Lord, I just pray that you would help us take that first step in confessing it and getting it out there so that healing can begin. And so, Lord, please, would you, by your spirit, move in this time and go before us, God, in, in a way that only you can. So we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would do these things.
Amen. And so we're going to give you an opportunity, uh, church, to just, in a state of prayer, continue um, to get right with the Lord, perhaps get right with others, and then in that, make your way to communion table. And so we got kind of some longer instrumental where these guys will be playing, and, uh, and you can make your way there. So.